Please pray with me. Father, I ask that you would, by your Spirit, open our hearts and minds to hear you. Lord, let us see the richness of what your Son has done on our behalf anew this morning. Amen. Ever since we started in Hebrews a number of weeks ago, I've been looking forward to the passage that we're hitting today. The entire letter is beautiful, rich, thick, deep, powerful. But this particular passage is one of the high points, and I've been looking forward to it. In order to understand these few verses, though, we need to step back and talk about two things. The first is the Day of Atonement. Y'all are likely familiar with the Day of Atonement, but allow me to talk about it for just a couple of minutes to bring it to mind. Hebrews 9 is an extended meditation on the Day of Atonement, and it's almost impossible to understand it without feeling and sensing behind it what the Day of Atonement was. The Day of Atonement was the high point of the year in Jewish worship. It's like Good Friday and Easter Sunday rolled into one. It's impossible to exaggerate the significance of the Day of Atonement for the Jew. You see, all year long, the sins of the people accumulated. Imagine with me, let's step there. Imagine if every sin that you or I committed left a visible stain on our clothing, like mud or ink. Imagine if it left a visible stain on your home, on the walls of society, the buildings, the courthouses, the churches themselves. Imagine if everything that you did wrong left that mark, that pollution. You see, all year long, the sins of the people accumulated. And over the course of the year, things got filthier and filthier. The weight of the pollution staining and reaching out to and weighing down everyone and everything, holding all of that on them, filthy. The worst part is that the stain reached to the tabernacle itself. God's house polluted, worship inhibited. You could feel that, the depths of the darkness. Yet even with that level of stain and filth, Hope was not lost because everyone knew a day was coming every year when all would be washed clean again. Imagine the weight that you would feel in the 11th month before the Day of Atonement, feeling the year's worth of pollution on you, yet knowing that this day is coming when it's all washed clean again. That day, society itself, everything gets cleansed, clean slate, start over. It's like the way some people think of New Year's Day, except for it's the real thing, a completely new start. All of last year's failures washed away. Most significantly, the tabernacle gets cleansed. The place where God meets with man is cleansed, and people could worship freely, uninhibited, in his presence. You can imagine, again, step back with me, use your imaginations. 
You can imagine the joy, the tension of waking up on that morning. Today is the day when everything is washed away. Beginning the fast for the weight of sin for the year, gathering outside the tabernacle, waiting for the high priest to arrive. You can imagine watching those sacrifices for sin, the priest's sin and yours washed away, blood splattered on the altar to cleanse the altar so that God would receive the sacrifices of the people. Blood sprinkled on the tabernacle itself so God's house was clean again. The priest bringing this goat into the presence of the people, laying his hands on its head, naming every sin that had been done that year, your sin, my sin, over the goat. And then the goat led into the wilderness as a testimony that your sin was taken away from you. Can you imagine the freedom? The freedom. And then at that climactic moment, the priest taking blood and incense and going into the Holy of Holies, blood to sprinkle on the footstool of God's throne. The ark itself, the mercy seat where God meets with man, blood sprinkling on it to cleanse God's throne from our sins that were polluting it. Incense our prayers in a visible form, a form that could even be smelled, rising up to God in that place. The priest in the Holy of Holies putting things right again, this climactic moment. And the people, you and me, clustered around outside the tabernacle, waiting for the priest to reemerge. Because when the priest reemerges, it's a testimony that God has received this sacrifice. And the tabernacle is indeed clean again. You are clean again. I am clean again. You can imagine the joy and the tension, the beauty of that day. Hold that image in your mind. It's one of the things we need to understand to understand Hebrews 9. The other is advanced theology, but don't get frightened. I've mentioned it before. It's the idea of typology. Don't be afraid. A type is simply a living picture that points to a deeper reality. I've mentioned them a number of times, even if you've not heard it. It's not complicated to understand. It's a something that God gave his people that points to an even deeper reality. So, for example, marriage is described as a type. It's a gift of God, a good and beautiful thing, but it points to a deeper reality, the relationship between Christ and the church. Peter describes the ark that Noah was in as a type for baptism. Paul does the same thing about the Red Sea. Both of them real things, salvation through water, God rescuing his people. But both of them point to a deeper reality, a deeper salvation through water, a deeper God rescuing of his people is in baptism. They are plunged into the very life of Christ. That's a type. It's the second thing that we need to understand we need to hold on to so that we can grasp Hebrews 9. You see, Hebrews 9, and we're only seeing the last few verses, Hebrews 9 presents the Day of Atonement as a type for the work of Christ. The Day of Atonement was a real gift. Sin actually washed away. But the Day of Atonement points to a deeper reality, a deeper cleansing, a deeper gift even the tabernacle itself is a type. It pointed to a more real reality. We learn in Hebrews 
that the tabernacle was a type that pointed to the great reality that is the very courts of heaven. This is beautiful. Hebrews mentioned this in chapter 8, verse 5, and then it references it again in this passage. The outer courts, the outer courts point to the earth that we live on, this ground where we can approach. But the two chambers, the outer chamber that is the holy place and the inner chamber that is the holy of holies, these are physical representations, types, physical living pictures of the very courts of heaven. They are depictions in living form of God's home. This is what we learn from Hebrews. And so the holy of holies, the ark, the mercy seat, the footstool of God's throne is a living picture, a type, an image of God's very throne room. It is a copy of the real thing. That's what verse 24 refers to when it says Christ is entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true thing, but into heaven itself. The Holy of Holies was a physical copy of God's throne room. The Holy of Holies, a type standing for a deeper reality, the deepest of all realities, God's unmitigated and dynamic presence. That's what was pictured in this type that was the tabernacle. This passage describes what the Day of Atonement pointed to as a type. It describes the true and final cleansing. And there is something in here that is startling for us to encounter. I'm going to read verses 23 to 26. I realize 23 is not in your order of service. That's my fault. It should have been there. 23 says, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified, with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Verse 23, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things, the tabernacle, to be purified with these rites, the Day of Atonement rites. The tabernacle had to be cleansed. But he says, but the heavenly things had to be cleansed with greater sacrifices than these, a better sacrifice. Do you hear what's being stated? The real thing, the heavenly courts themselves, the thing that the tabernacle only pointed to, the real thing had to be cleansed with a better sacrifice than the one that was used to cleanse the tabernacle. The real thing, the heavenly courts needed a greater sacrifice than blood of bulls and goats. It needed a greater sacrifice to be cleansed. Do you hear what's behind that? That our sin, our filth, our pollution, our selfishness, our lust, our gossip, our disobedience and anger, 
This was defiling God's very courts. Can you imagine that your sin reaches so far? To touch the very throne room of heaven and to defile the very courts of God. The greater reality, the real thing that the tabernacle pointed to needed to be cleansed with a greater sacrifice. In the same way that the Israelite sin polluted the tabernacle, our sin reached up to the very courts of God. In the same way that their worship, their freedom to be in God's presence was inhibited by their pollution, so our freedom to come before God, to worship, to pray, to be in his presence freely, all of that was inhibited by our pollution. Just as an earthly high priest, the type of Jesus Christ, just as the earthly high priest had to cleanse the, t- the tabernacle and the people with these sacrifices, so the true high priest had to cleanse the places that we were staining. Can you imagine the gravity of our sin that reached that far, that that much cleansing had to be occur, had to occur? But just as the earthly high priest came to meet the people outside the tabernacle, outside the courts of God, and this is the beauty of what's being imaged in this type. The high priest met the people outside the tabernacle. And so the true high priest comes to meet you and me, outside the tabernacle. And outside the tabernacle, in this very world that we live in, he there offers the perfect sacrifice for sin. Look at the second half of verse 26. This is what's being described. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He appeared outside the courts of heaven to put away sin, But the typology ends up being inadequate because this true high priest, the one that the first high priests only pointed to, this true high priest ends up offering his own body, his own blood on the altar. The altar that was the tree. Just as an offering had to be made, this true high priest steps forward But in doing something unheard of, unthinkable, he becomes victim itself. Priest offering himself on the altar for this cleansing. And out of that offering of himself, his blood cleanses you and me. And his blood cleanses even the stain that we were leaving on the courts of heaven. This is why I wanted you all to feel the weight of the Day of Atonement. The accumulation of all of our sins washed away in that perfect sacrifice. The stain that we were leaving, even on the courts of heaven, washed away as high priest who is victim offers himself, not for one more year, but for all time, Hebrews says. He appeared once at the end of the ages to take away sin for all time. And because he offered himself, because he cleansed us and even the courts of heaven, we can worship free of pollution. We can come into the presence of God uninhibited and free. This very morning, your ability, my ability to sing God's praises and to be heard by him is a product of the fact that he has cleansed us that he has allowed worship again by cleansing the very courts of heaven. This is the greater day of atonement that has occurred. 
But the type goes even deeper. Because just as the high priest entered the Holy of Holies, bringing incense and blood into the very presence of God, so the true high priest has entered the Holy of Holies, the very presence of the Father on our behalf. This is what verse 24 is referring to, and it's what occurred in the ascension, that Christ entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. That phrase, on our behalf. The high priest of the old covenant would enter into the Holy of Holies wearing a breastplate. And on the breastplate were 12 stones, each one a representation of one of the tribes. On the shoulders of his breastplates, two stones, each one inscribed with the name of six of the tribes, so that when he stood in the presence of God, in front of God's throne at the very ark with blood and incense, he was literally bearing the people into the presence of God with him, doing it on their behalf. But that was just the type, because the true high priest stands in the very throne room of the Father on your behalf and on my behalf. And as Isaiah 49, 16 reminds us, he stands there with our very names carved into the palms of his hands. He stands there in the presence of the Father with your name written on his hands, on your behalf, offering these cleansing sacrifices, this once-for-all sacrifice, justifying us by his presence and his blood and doing something that the type could not even imagine, allowing us and inviting us to come with him. That was not allowed the first time around. That was not allowed in the type. But in the greater reality, we can follow afterwards. The entry of the true high priest into the courts of heaven, having offered this more perfect and better sacrifice, is the deeper reality. We have been given purification by it. Not just for another year, but all of our filth has been washed away. All of our selfishness has been washed away. All of our bitterness has been washed away. The guilt, the lust, the disobedience, the anger, the fits of temper, the gossip, all of it has been purged. The things that plague your conscience and mine, the things that make us despise ourselves and wonder whether God would ever actually love us, those things have been cleansed by this sacrifice. And anyone who bends the knee before the true high priest, trusting in his work alone, receives this purification and is invited into the presence of God. But that's not even the end of the story. Look at verse 28. It says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Remember the type, the story of the Day of Atonement, the people clustered outside the tabernacle waiting for the priest to reemerge because only then did they know that the sacrifice had actually been received. It's the lesser reality pointing to the greater, and we stand in the greater reality. We are at this very moment clustered outside the tabernacle waiting for the high priest to reemerge. We are not yet fully in the courts of heaven. 
not yet fully face-to-face with a dynamic and unmitigated presence of God. We are waiting for the high priest to reemerge, just as the Israelites waited in tension and in hope. But it's not the same this time. We live in the greater reality. We don't wait for him to reemerge because we wonder whether or not the sacrifice has been received. That was their hope as they waited. Was it received this year? Am I clean again this year? We don't wait wondering whether it's been received because the victim was perfect. God himself in the flesh. The sacrifice has been received. We are cleansed again. As verse 28 says, when he reappears, it's not going to deal with sin because he's already done that. That's done. Even though it doesn't feel that way, you are free. That is done. We wait clustered outside the tabernacle in eager hope because when he reappears, it will be with salvation in his hand. Salvation for those who wait for him. So oftentimes we use the word salvation as if it's something that's already true. And it's true that sometimes the Bible talks like that, that we are saved. But most of the time when the Bible talks about salvation, it points to the future, something that's not yet occurred. I don't know about you, but that is reassuring to me. It's reassuring to know that I haven't actually received yet everything that's promised, because then that begins to explain why some things are not as they should be. We wait clustered outside the tabernacle because when he reemerges, he will come not to deal with sin, that has been done, but to sweep up all those who wait for him in salvation, to put all right, all to right in the world, to overthrow all evil, to heal all brokenness. We wait because in that salvation, all loneliness will be swept away. All fear, anxiety, and guilt will be swept away. They will flee before him the way darkness flees when the sun rises. We wait clustered outside the tabernacle because when the priest reemerges from the Holy of Holies, salvation will be brought to those who wait for him. Our high priest is coming. We're waiting for him. I want to close with two simple questions. The first is very simply, will you wait with me? Will you eagerly wait for this high priest who would reemerge with salvation in his hand? Will you wait expectant that this is our hope? Our hope is not in the strength of our hands. Our hope is not in the strength of our minds, what we can produce. Our hope is in this high priest who will reemerge with salvation for you and for me. Will you wait with me? The second question is, and when you, will you, when you encounter others who are burdened by the weight of their own pollution, call them towards this crowd of people waiting for the priest. When you encounter those who are terrified, who are guilty, who are lost and broken, will you say, would you come wait with us for a salvation to come? You see, the high priest calls you a kingdom of priests and invites you into his ministry. So as we wait for him, we are given the ability to intercede for those who need him just as you and I do. Will you wait with me? And will you enter into his priestly ministry with me as we wait? Amen.